Hello, you're listening to Dr. Baz of Grace Life Church in Naples, Florida. Thank you for joining us as we open God's Word. And may God's Spirit speak a personal word to you through it. Reveal to us who you are, and especially in the person of the Holy Spirit, that we might be aware of what you have revealed, that we might walk with the Holy Spirit, in the Holy Spirit, in step with the Spirit, not grieving the Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this is a, a baby 101 introduction to the Holy Spirit. You really can't go, you don't want to go further unless you've established these two things. And what are they? The Holy Spirit, his person, and his purpose. Look at John 16, verse 14. And here Jesus says, he, the Holy Spirit, will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. And this is why I said that the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. So the Holy Spirit's person and purpose, let's look first at his personhood. Jesus calls the Holy Spirit a person. Notice he says, he will bring glory to me. Now, a lot of believers practically engage their, the, their minds with, with the idea of the Holy Spirit is just the power of God. So it's really like a force. I think some of this comes from John chapter 3, where Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit being like a wind. So we run off with the idea that he's just a force that blows. Um, not the case. Our verse, he says, he will bring glory to me. So he means that he's a person. Now go all the way back to verse 7. But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Well, can you, you can see right there that the Holy Spirit acts like a person. Uh, he's an emotional being. Romans 15.30 talks about the love of the Spirit. Isaiah 63 verse 10 says, Yet they, talking about God's people, rebelled and grieved the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 10.29 speaks of those who insulted the Spirit of grace. So he loves. He can be grieved. He can be insulted. He's an emotional being. But he's also a thinking being. Look at our verse. He will bring glory to me by, by doing something, taking from what is mine and making it known to you. Now, that's a rational activity with a very clear purpose in mind, and it's to bring glory to Christ. Romans 8.27 speaks about the mind of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12.11 says the Spirit of God gives spiritual gifts individually as he wills. Another translation says just as he determines. So the Holy Spirit has a will. That, that means, and it's a will that intellectually determines matters. He's an emotional being. He's a thinking being. And of course, he's a teacher and a guide. All of which, of course, proves that he's a person. Look at our verse. He will take from what is mine and make it known to you. What is that but a teacher? He's the great teacher. So many verses on that. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 2.13, Paul says, We speak of things 
taught by, in words, taught by the Spirit. In Romans 8, 14, Paul says those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. So he's a teacher and he's a guide. But notice that the Holy Spirit is not just a person. He's a divine person. We'll get into this in greater detail in a minute. But if he's a divine person, that means the Holy Spirit is God. And the Bible is just full of scriptures that make this very clear. Acts chapter 5, verse 3 says that, that Ananias lied to the Holy Spirit. And then immediately afterwards, it says Ananias lied to God. And it's written in such a way, so it's very clear that the Holy Spirit and God are interchangeable, meaning that the Holy Spirit is God. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says that you yourselves are God's temple, whereas 1 Corinthians 6.19 says your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So again, the Holy Spirit and God are interchangeable. Another example, in Luke chapter 1, verse 68 and 70, it says the God of Israel spoke by the mouth of the holy prophets, and yet 2 Peter 1.20 declares that those prophets spoke by the mouth of the Holy Spirit interchangeable. Psalm 78, 17 says, Israel sinned against God by provoking the Most High in the wilderness. Yet in Isaiah 63, verse 10, it says, in the wilderness, they provoked the Holy Spirit. Now, as a divine person, not just a person, but as a divine person, he is a member of the Trinity. Look at the text again. He, the Holy Spirit, will bring glory to me, that's Jesus, by taking from what is mine and making it known to you, all that belongs to the Father is mine. This is, this is just one of many passages where you see all members of the Trinity uh, mentioned. And, and as you see in our passage, the Holy Spirit acts alongside and in conjunction with the Father and the Son. Uh, John MacArthur says the Trinity is a, a mystery in two senses. It's a mystery in the biblical sense that it is in truth, uh, it is a truth that was hidden and would have remained hidden had it not been revealed. But it is also a mystery in that in its essence, it is supra-rational. That is, it is ultimately beyond human comprehension. So you might ask, well, if it's beyond human comprehension, why are we studying the Trinity then? Well, Spurgeon said, I'll let him answer, Nothing will so enlarge the intellect, nothing so magnify the soul of man as the devout, earnest, continual investigation of the great subject of the Godhead. So some people have got this idea that God the Father became God the Son and came to the earth, and then he left, turned in, became the Holy Spirit, and then, and then returned to earth. And this is completely incorrect. Of course, it would mean that when Jesus was on the earth, he was and praying to the Father, he's actually talking to himself. Um, but this isn't what this passage is communicating at all. Uh, the Trinity is just runs through the whole scriptures. It goes all the way back to Genesis 1.26, where it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image and our likeness. So you have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and, and maybe that's why the Bible says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. 
There's many verses that present the triune God uh, and presents them as if they were working together in conjunction. You can see the Trinity at work in the ministry of Jesus. Luke 3.22, and the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus in a bodily form like a dove, and a voice from God the Father came out of heaven, you're my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Matthew 12, 28, but if I, Jesus, cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God the Father has come upon you. They're working together. So you can see the triune God at work in Jesus's ministry. You can see it at work in God's people's ministry. Galatians 4, 6 says, because you are sons, God the Father sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out Abba, Father. First Peter 1, 2, you've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obedience to Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is, 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 is a person, he's God, and he's a member of the Trinity. Uh, Matthew 28, 19, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And for our comfort, 2 Corinthians 13, 14 says, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So, not only is the Holy Spirit clearly a person, a divine person, a member of the Trinity, but the Holy Spirit throughout Scripture is described as having the very attributes of God. First of all, he's eternal. Now, Deuteronomy 23, 37 says God the Father is the eternal God. So we know he's eternal. But in John 8, 58, Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am, claiming to be eternal. And then you get to Hebrews 9, 14, and the Holy Spirit is spoken of as the eternal spirit. So he's eternal. That's a divine characteristic. He's also omnipresent. That means everywhere. In Jeremiah 23, 24, God the Father says, can a man hide himself in hiding places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill the heavens and the earth? Father right there saying that he's omnipresent. And then in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, Jesus speaking about himself after his resurrection or his ascension, I mean, into heaven. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations and behold, I am with you to the end of the age. That's, that's to each person, whether you're in South Africa, whether, whether you're in Guadalajara, Mexico, I'm with you. So he's claiming om to be omnipresent. Uh, and then, of course, speaking about the Holy Spirit, Psalm 139, verse 7 says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? So eternal, omnipresent, being everywhere, and all-knowing. Psalm 147, verse 5 says, God's understanding is infinite. Now, in John 16, verse 30, the disciples say to Jesus, well, now we know that you know all things. They weren't actually correct at the time, and that's because in Matthew 24, 36, speaking of his second coming, Jesus said, no one knows that day or the hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, only the Father. But of course, ascended into heaven, 
he knows all things. And in John 16, 13, we read that when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into some truth, no, all truth. So he's eternal, he's omnipresent, he's omniscient, and omnipotent. That means all-powerful. Well, only God is all-powerful. In Luke 1, 35, the angel answered and said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. What will happen then? And then the power of the Most High will overshadow you. He has the power of God. You, you can pursue this with any one of the divine attributes. Um, what about creator? We know the Bible says that God created heaven and the earth. You get to Colossians 1.16, and it, speaking of Jesus, it said, all things were made by him and for him. Well, Job 33 verse 4 says, the spirit of God has made me. Psalm 104 verse 30 said, you send your spirit and they are created. <laughs> so anywhere you see an attribute of God, the Holy Spirit has that attribute. And he's a person. C.S. Lewis, speaking on the Trinity, I'm not 100% sure if this is true, but it's a lovely thought. He says, all sorts of people are fond of repeating the Christian statement that God is love. But they seem not to notice that the words God is love have no real meaning unless the Godhead contains at least two persons. Love is something that one person has for another person. If God were a single person, then before the world was made, he was not love. In the sense of a verb, true. Uh, but as a noun, I think, yes, he is. He was always love. Uh, well, now, anyway, we've seen the personhood of the Holy Spirit. Now, notice the purpose of the Holy Spirit. And the verse before us is a good one because it points to his ultimate purpose. Notice verse 14. He will bring glory to me. So the ultimate purpose of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus Christ. Now, of course, the Holy Spirit does many other things, but they're all done with one aim in mind, and that is to glorify Jesus. Now, notice this. If it is to glorify Christ, the text tells us that it has to come from Christ. Look at our passage. He, God's Spirit, will bring glory to me. How is he going to do this? By taking from what is mine and making it known to you. Uh, and then he goes on to say a little later, that is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine. So if it's going to glorify Christ, it has to originate with Christ. And, and that's going to be true for us. It's certainly going to be true in our theology, isn't it? That's why 1 Corinthians 4, 6 says, do not go beyond what is written. It, that is, all revelation about God has got to come from Christ. It's got to come from Christ's word. Colossians 3.16 describes the Bible as the word of Christ. And it has to do so if it's going to glorify Christ. Why is that? Because preaching human philosophy is not going to glorify Christ. Uh, preaching politics is not going to glorify Christ. Uh, preaching our opinions about who God is isn't going to glorify Christ. God's Spirit, he says, will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. It has to come from the Word of Christ. Well, if it is to glorify Christ, I mean, it, it, then it has to come from Christ. It's interesting that the reverse is true. And that is, if it has come from Christ, 
you can know it has because it glorifies Christ. Let's go back to the doctrine of salvation again. The scripture teaches that mankind is dead in trespasses and sins, that he's hostile to God, Romans 8, that, that no one, there's no one, Romans 3, who seeks God. No, not one. Uh, that 1 Corinthians 2 says that the man is, considers the things of God to be foolishness to him. That's his condition. He's dead in trespasses and sins. Now, the scripture teaches that for a person to be saved, Christ has to sovereignly grant them faith. Ephesians says, this faith is not of yourself, it's a gift of God. And then God, Christ has to sovereignly grant you spiritual life. John 5, 21, the son gives life to who he is pleased to give it. And then Christ has to reveal the father to them. And in Matthew 11, Jesus said, no one knows the father except the son himself and those to whom the son chooses to reveal him. Bible even talks about granting repentance. Acts 13, 48 says, when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord and all those who were appointed for eternal life believed. Okay, now, if your doctrine is from Christ, it's not going to be putting the credit for your salvation on something you did, on some good work, on you being smart enough to choose Christ because that's not going to glorify Christ. So let's ask this question. Does a salvation that is all of God from start to finish glorify God? And the answer is yes, of course it does. What does that mean? What does the text tells us it means? It means your doctrine is from the Holy Spirit. That's exactly what it's saying. This is true for the doctrine of salvation. This is true for the doctrine of final preservation of the saints, which is what we were looking at in the Bible study earlier. Does God preserve the saints, or, or can a saint, I mean, that is somebody who has been saved, be, be then lost again? Well, uh, if you can lose your salvation, this is just a personal fault of mine, that means you're saying that a believer can choose that I don't want to be a believer anymore. What is that but an admission that I'm a believer? <laughs> anyway, Luke 14, Jesus said, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays a foundation and he's not able to finish it, everybody's going to, who sees it's going to ridicule him, saying this fellow began to build and he wasn't able to finish. Okay, so when Christ counted the cost of salvation, was he only able to lay the foundation? Will he be ridiculed because he cannot see it to the end? In John 13, 1, it says, Jesus, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them to the end. In John chapter 10, Jesus said, I give to my sheep eternal life, and they will never perish. Neither shall any pluck them out of my hand. Now, question is, does that glorify God more, or, or, or does this? I give unto my sheep a fragile spiritual life that they shall possibly, if not likely, perish should somebody uh, pluck them out of my hand. It's ludicrous. And in John 6, 38 and 39, Jesus promised, for I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him that sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose, lose none of all those he has given me, but I shall raise them up on the last day. So does the idea of Christ 
the great shepherd, losing some of the sheep, does that glorify Christ? Or does it do the very opposite? Well, of course it does the very opposite. Therefore, it cannot be from Christ. Therefore, it is not of the Holy Spirit. Look at our verse. He, the Holy Spirit, will bring glory to me. How? By taking from what is mine. Now notice something else. And making it known to you. All that, the Father, all that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take what is mine and make it known to you. So there's another thing that the Holy Spirit does, which glorifies Christ. Jesus said, it's making known to you what is mine. By revealing the truth to ignorant, sinful people. And look at verse 15. All that belongs to the Father is mine. And that's why I said the Spirit has to take what is mine and show it to you. So all that belongs to the Father, the great mysteries of God, I will, the Spirit of God will make known to you. Amazing. And, and, and Christ, he says, is, is glorified in that. In John 15, 15, Jesus told his disciples, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I have called you my friends. For everything everything that I've learned from my Father, I've made known to you. Wow. Why does that glorify God? Was it an easy process to make the, the, the great secrets of, of the universe known to, well, let's be honest, morons, sinful, rebellious morons? Uh, just look at the, look at the, look at the, um, the Gospels. And, and you can see that what Jesus taught them, a lot of the times they just didn't understand it. And what they did understand, they forgot. I was reading a, a, a Spurgeon sermon called God's Desire for Us. And in the middle of it, he just bursts into praise, which is typical Spurgeon. You sometimes wonder if he's preaching or just talking to God. And he said, oh, blessed spirit. This is written down in shorthand. You will show me a sin of righteousness and judgment? Yes. You will take the things of Christ and reveal them to me, and you will not disdain me, poor scholar that I am. You will make even me to know wisdom. As ignorant and as sinful as we are, and how many times we, we either don't get it or we, or we forget it, yet the Holy Spirit can condescends yet again to teach us wisdom. David marveled at this in the Old Testament because in Psalm 51, he said, surely I was sinful at my birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. And yet surely you desire truth in the inner parts. And so you teach me. That is me who is sinful from the time my mother conceived me. You teach me wisdom in my innermost soul. I just astonished David. The Holy Spirit is glorified in Christ or glorifies Christ by revealing the truth to ignorant, sinful people. And then finally, of course, if, if that's what the Holy Spirit does, is, is glorify God, that's what our lives should be about. So how, how can we glorify Christ? Well, 
Let's just stick to the text because the text points out two things. Notice, first of all, we glorify God by continually asking the Holy Spirit to reveal the things of Jesus to us. Verse 14 and 15, he will bring glory to me. How? By taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine, all the deep secrets. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. You know, in Psalm 119, we've looked at it many times, verse 18, David prays exactly as this text is telling us to pray, which is, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. Now, think about that. If you, if you just read the Bible, you'd be like those characters in John chapter 5 who, who read the Bible and searched the Scriptures but never came to Christ. It, just attending a church listening to uh, what the surface says, just not, getting nothing more than what Paul said on Sunday. It doesn't glorify Christ. But it's when, it's when you come to church and you say, oh, Spirit of God, what are you saying to me? When you, when you go to a Bible study, you say, open this up. I can't understand this. I, I can understand the, the, the surface of it. I can understand the letter of the law, but I've got to know the Spirit of the law. Because it is only as that is revealed to you that God is glorified. And then, of course, by continually asking the Holy Spirit, uh, not only to reveal the things of God, but to help you do every single thing that you do for the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. It was written in a biography of D.L. Moody, who is the great American evangelist, that Moody was to have a campaign in England. But an elderly pastor protested. And he said, well, what do we need this Moody? He's, he's uneducated. He's, he's inexperienced. And who does he think he is anyway? Does he think he, he has a monopoly on the Holy Spirit? And a younger, wiser pastor in the meeting rose and responded. He said, no, uh, he doesn't have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit has a monopoly on Mr. Moody. May the same be said of us. Let's pray. Dear Lord, uh, precious Lord, um, we thank you for the person of the Spirit. Pray that in future our, our church, as a bunch of individuals, would crave the presence and power and wisdom of, of, of this marvelous divine being that alone can open the scriptures so that we understand it and therefore by glorify you. Um, may we, as we approach the table, uh, make our commitment, which we know is feeble, but will only be possible because of the Spirit, to do everything we do for the, for the glory of, of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to Dr. Bez. Tune in next week as we continue studying the Word of God. May God bless you.